You're listening to Were You Still Talking? Okay, I'm going to try an intro. And uh, if I screwed up, too bad, because I don't like to edit. Okay, thanks for listening to the podcast. Today in my studio, I have Dan Squire. He is um, someone I've done acting with at least once. And he, let's see, what else, what else do I know about him? Almost nothing. He was in the Navy a long time ago. He's been married, I think, for a very long time. Has two kids. And uh, um, right now you're working as a, as a driver, is that right? Yeah, for, uh-huh. yeah locally. And you still participate locally in, in uh, theater. Yes. Local yes. theater. Yep, when I can. Uh-huh. I'd like to do it more, but, you know, I'm busy. It's just time. Keep you from it. Yeah, I mean, we. I did the, you know, Blythe Spirit was the last show I did, and that was at the first of the year already, so it's been oh my six goodness. or seven months. and I didn't realize that was so long ago. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That seemed like and, just a it, minute ago. That was a big commitment, uh-huh. and I enjoyed every minute of it, but it was, you know, so my wife was very busy, you know, taking care of almost all the things with the kids and everything, so it was, you know, she's great that way, but I don't want to... Do too many shows. You don't want to leave it there all the time. Right. Yeah, I don't know how a lot of these people involved with local shows do it. Yeah. I manage about one show a season is about the best I can do. Uh So, yeah, it doesn't get to be too much. Because I'm doing that, and I also do things with the Radio Redux at the Holt Center. Oh, you do? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's fantastic. I haven't been on stage yet. I've been involved with it for years, but... Yeah, Fred. Oh, Crafts. you have. Okay, Fred Crafts. Um, uh, he knows that I want to be involved on stage. Uh huh. But I've been helping out backstage for years, and he came and saw Blight Spirit and, and liked it a lot, and said, you know, well, we'll have to get you on stage next season, you know. So I'm hoping for the best. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean the fact that he that has done so well is is really cool. Like, it's you a know, lot of it's fun. it's yeah, it's a lot of fun, and he's able to get a big audience to do it. It. it just seems, of course, haven't been yet. But well, any, I, I started helping out when they were at the Wildish in Springfield, mm-hmm. just at doing concessions or ushering or whatever. And then now that they're at the Holt Center, the Holt Center has their own paid staff. Oh, right. For most right. things, so I help set it up and take it down, and that's about it, you know. But there's a lot of things to move and to pack in and pack out. So we do that the Monday before the show goes on the air, and. Um, it takes, you know, depending on how elaborate it is, like the Christmas show is very elaborate and can take longer. It can take an hour or two to set the whole thing up. And oh, my goodness. Sunday when the matinee's over, you hang around and take it all back down uh-huh. and pack it out. Yeah. And how many people are on stage? How many people are It depends are doing it? from show to show, but it's usually eight or ten. Oh, it is? Yeah, it's a pretty big cast. Wow. But they, you still have people doubling parts and everything because it's just done with voices. It's right. old-time radio recreation. Yeah. So, Which is yeah. what kind of what podcasting is. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's why I'm I'm shocked that I think I'm already too late but the uh podcasting is exploding like suddenly all these celebrities want to get into it which makes it tougher for for folks like myself but you know it's funny cuz I noticed um well, some celebrities were involved in it early mm-hmm. and then gave up on it uh, true. Oh, that's true. Like people like Al- Alton Brown and like that, you know, uh-huh. I, I used to listen to his podcast and then it, he oh, just cool. st- he just stopped doing it. And I think that's why I think it would it, it, podcasting hadn't, it was, hadn't it taken hadn't off taken yet. off. And yeah. there's still yeah the biggest I realized though because I started listening to podcasts because I had this this weird vision problem. So 
I, I couldn't do anything but listen to stuff. So the ones I started with were pretty, are actually huge. And then uh, the biggest one, Joe Rogan, he started in uh, 2004, I think. I mean, wow. there, there was like no one podcasting yeah. and yeah, other other people like that who, so I think the people who stay, well, his became a hit for probably because he has a lot of weird people on. But uh, <laughs> I actually haven't listened to his. Of, I'll have to try yeah. it. You know, I'll have to get, try it out. I can't really recommend it except for some of the guests are just like unbelievable. He just had a guy on that was worked um, at a site near Area 51 and um, had some amazing things wow. to say. Okay. And, and it, it's like, oh, I thought we were done with this stuff. But when you hear what he says, and you, um, there's a documentary on Netflix about it. I don't remember what it's called, but uh, maybe I'll put it in the show notes if I care to. The um, Just the stuff he's talking about is like mind-blowing. And he comes up with some things that make it seem like... Like, I was almost on the cutting edge of, oh, come on, there's no aliens because right, of yeah. what we can see now with telescopes, what, you know, what science is getting to, you can't travel speed of light, right. all these different things. And he presented it like, hmm, man, we just don't know this stuff. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. Because that's, that's where I'm uh, at. I, I'm at, you know, there probably is other life out there, but it's so far away that I don't think it's, you know, and that's hanging around. Right. And that's what we always assume. But then I look at, you know, if I actually... Uh, if you think about the science behind sci-fi movies and television shows, they're talking about possibilities that we can't even approach yet. And yeah, the biggest one being if you could warp space, actually. Right. You know, I mean, because right. warp speed in Star Trek is still really, really slow. But if you could warp space and go through like a black hole or something, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So you, I think somewhere, oh, it was when you emailed me, you said you thought about starting a podcast. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I listen to all kinds of podcasts, but um, there's only one or two that I've stuck with. Mm -hmm. I'll listen to, like, I, I, I will occasionally go and listen to true crime. Because I'm as fascinated with that as anybody, but yeah, uh -huh. you have to take a break after a while. You just want to go. Because you like, just want to go live in a cave. Yeah, you know, it's, it's true. Like, it's uh, real stuff. You know, people right. are just horrible. People are. But yeah. I do like yeah. them a lot. And then, like talking about Area 51 and all that. There's another one, and I just I should have looked it up to get the name of it. But it's a it's a fun podcast all about that sort of thing. Unexplained phenomena, mm -hmm. missing persons cases, UFOs. You know, and it's it's. Um, Gosh, I, I should have looked it up. But it, that's anyway, okay. We're not big on facts. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> but but those are fun to listen to. Uh huh. And um, I listened to um, one. Uh, he plays seventy eight RPM records. Oh, interesting. Because cool. I now, why would I, you like that? I sort of collect those. I don't. Yeah, have, I, thought, you know, I'm not, I, not, I don't have a house full of them like some people do. I've got a closet full of them. Uh huh. But um, that's still a lot more than most. Probably two or three hundred. I haven't really counted. You know. Wow. But, um, he plays all kinds of things. He specializes in playing music, uh, dance band music from the twenties and thirties, mm -hmm. but he'll play mm -hmm. stuff from the, I mean, some of it's over a hundred years old already, you know, oh, right. it was recorded, you know, in 1903 or something uh -huh. as acoustically back then. And, uh, it's, it's a fun show. He's a very talented, uh, ragtime piano player. Okay. In in, in 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 real life, and but he's been doing this podcast for years called the Shellac Stack. Oh, awesome! Seventy eights are made of shellac. For those that don't know, they're not made of vinyl. Oh, and, really? Yeah. And what what is shellac? 
I'm forgetting. It's almost it's like, it's like almost like a varnish, you know, that's okay. made, made out of like it's made from beetles, some beetle shells. They, oh, they wow. pulverize them and Cuz yeah, I guess uh, I always think of it uh, shellacking something as uh, cleaning. I always think of cleaning when I No, it's shellac, more like a finish, yeah, you know, like, like like a, a finish. like a varnish oh, okay. or, or a lacquer. Huh. But yeah, they're they're heavy and brittle. They're Wow. You know, vinyl's light and flexible. The shellac is heavy, heavy, so you have to be really careful not to break them. But do you still find them at like garage sales and um, I find a lot of them stuff or most places don't carry them. But there's the St. Vincent de Paul out in Springfield, mm-hmm. um, out in Thurston. They have uh, a very good selection of them, and I found some great ones. I found some jazz ones. I think they looked like they came from an old radio station or someone you know had probably donated them that worked for a radio station. Nice. And I found some, I, you know, Dave Brubeck, and, and uh-huh. there was a Miles Davis in there and some Dizzy Gillespie and just all kinds of great stuff, you know. Wow. So. So I found probably two dozen, uh-huh. you know, really good ones out there. Those recordings are interesting too because the, a lot of times those engineers have they've either made their own equipment or you know it's like you can't find anything like that now. Um, so yeah, the, very the, unique. The thing sound. I like about them is they're really live performances. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any multi-track recording back then, and um, I mean obviously the the, the last. They stopped making 78s in the 50s when vinyl, LPs, and stereo took right. over. So but most of them are not uh, multi-track recordings. They're, so they would literally stick the whole band in the recording studio and just record the whole thing in one shot because they didn't have any means of doing multi-track. So yeah, you're which, listening to live recordings. You're not listening to things that have been you know, massaged over, in the studio yeah. to sound yeah. perfect. and and. Well, it's interesting because most jazz was done that way all the way into the 70s. Not not because they couldn't multi-track, but it's like who would do that? Yeah, they're ja- just they're jazz musicians. Yeah, they're jazz musicians. They're jazz yeah, musicians. They're, yeah. Who would who would want to retake it? Exactly. And yeah. actually even today um although they multi-track, they usually record live. It's just that they will do it over and over until they really like it, right. you know. Yeah, in yeah. those days that wasn't true. No. They would do it a couple of times and that, you know, okay, yeah. that's it. Let's, it's too, too expensive. Let's go. Too expensive. And plus they were really good. Yep. It's not like you had to go, yep. you know, over and over. And yeah. yeah, they'd been playing the tunes forever, which is so different now because, uh, especially pop stars, but most, most music writes in the studio, even a lot of jazz musicians, they write in the studio, which is a whole switch, you know, it's yeah. a complete turnaround yeah. instead of, touring for a hundred shows and then going in and recording they record and write and then they take it out and figure out a way to to make it sound similar on stage yep. yeah it's so different but if you had a podcast what would it well, be there, yeah that's what i was yeah that kind of got on yeah got off track there i thought it would be fun he takes most of the things that he plays he takes and puts them into audacity or whatever and cleans them up mm-hmm. because those records are old and they're just intrinsically noisy anyway, because shellac is not as smooth as vinyl, so oh, okay. you get a lot more hiss and things, pops and scratches. But I thought I don't, I could do that if I wanted to, but it might be fun just to play them, warts and all. And I thought that would, I might, might be fun to have a podcast where I just did that, where just basically like a like a DJ radio, like, just play them live, just as you're recording it, just instead of going back and cleaning them up, just like. Well, that seems see that's a really good idea for a podcast because. Those type of podcasts are um, tend to be more popular. Like you know, there's there's hundreds and thousands of podcasts like what I'm trying to do, just sitting people down and talking to them. But there's 
uh, probably one that is uh, playing 78 records, and there's probably zero that are doing it that way. I mean, that, I think people would be really interested in hearing that, they, especially because there's such a huge boom in uh, records, you know, records being sold again. I'm actually... Um, uh, not an audiophile because I don't have the money. I think records like <laughs> there's all this controversy about about it. I've I've you know gone down this engineering rabbit hole before, but there's all these things about why and why not. It might sound better or not. And um, to me, if you've got a ten thousand dollar and up system, yeah, records are going to sound amazing. If you don't, you're going to hear yeah. And, yeah. you know, when I first got a CD and uh, I heard uh, a, f- a few of the first bands to be out on CD, gosh, I'm trying to remember what the band was that I thought, thought was so amazing. I can't remember their name. Um, Les, Poole, um, Les Claypool. Okay. You know, who that? Anyway, uh, I was just like, there's no hiss. This I, is amazing. I still remember yeah. the, the first CD I ever heard. <laughs> I still remember. I, it was somewhere. It was Bradford or someplace, you know, here in town. Mm-hmm. Back in the '80s, and uh, I was used to cassettes. Yeah, we had a we yeah, had we, all, we yeah. had an old J.C. Penney or whatever stereo at home that would play records, but you know, mm-hmm. I was used to cassettes, so I was used to that hiss before the music would start. Oh right, you press you play. Had, once you played it once, it, you got the hiss. Yeah. And then I I went into this place, and we were looking at stuff because I was thinking about buying a um, a portable CD player, which weren't that portable back then. They ran on like six C batteries, and you wore it like a purse, but. Um, this guy demonstrated a CD player for me, and he put in Peter Gabriel's So. Oh, yeah. And it There's was, another good it example. It was Sledgehammer, and I heard total silence. Then all of a sudden, that little doodly-doo, doodly-doo came out of nowhere, and it was like, wow. And then that song, <laughs> boom, the way that song hits. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. Like, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I mean, I, despite, I, on top of the fact that it's a, an amazingly well-engineered and, and written song, but yeah, to hear yeah. it like that without just clean and pristine and the interesting thing was it's been quite a cycle because the first days of cd they did everything onto tape and then they they mixed it on tape they mixed it down to a true two track and then they sent it to the manufacturer who put it on a cd that's where it got to cd so now they're kind of doing they've kind of gone back to that because people don't like digital, you know, and it's <laughs> know. like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know no. if I A-beat it for you, but you know, the same engineer did it onto tape or did it digitally, you wouldn't know who uses all the same stuff. Yeah. It's all that fancy equipment yeah. and, and the guy's ears that makes it amazing. Well, it used to be the opposite. Yeah. It was a big deal. I, I had a copy on, I don't know whatever happened to it. I had a copy on CD of Rye Cooter's Bop Till You Drop, mm-hmm. which was the first fully digital album ever. So you had a CD of that. It was all there was no analog involved whatsoever. And there used to be a little symbol on mm-hmm. the CD. I can't remember. It, it was, was like A D D. Yeah, this was like D D D. Yeah, D D. Yeah, and it was such a big deal. And now it's like oh, digital. And I'm just like, no, you know, CDs are better. They are. <laughs> Thank God I found somebody that, no, that knows like, I, this. I like I like records, but I understand all about the frequency limitations. <laughs> right. And, and all yeah, that, yeah. And I think some of it. I think some of what happened was that we got to MP3s, and MP3s can sound like crap. I mean, if they're mm-hmm. compressed too much, then yes, they're not giving you the same sounds. But I know an incredibly talented engineer in town, probably the, one of the best here, who's recorded on Grammy-winning albums, and his daughter 
I, I mean, it's been over 10 years since I was in his studio, but when I, last time I was, his, he said, oh yeah, my daughter gave me the CD, ch- the MP3 challenge, and she totally nailed me, because I couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> great. <laughs> you tell me, Dad. Yeah, yeah. so it's... It's pretty close, but I think that might be part of what sent people back to records is that it, it, everything was getting so digital. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, if you oh, if you overcompress, and I'm even that way. I put out my podcast at 192, which is completely unnecessary for a podcast, but it's like I want a little bit of fidelity. Mm-hmm. I have music for 30 seconds at the right. beginning. I want it in the stereo at least, which a lot of them aren't. But I don't think anyone cares or knows about that. Except for folks like myself, and then uh, so how? Um, let's now. I'm going to back backtrack a little bit. How did you get into acting? Where did where did you start? Oh my! I didn't never did it in school. My sisters did it. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, which was very. Um, I kind of wanted to watching them, but for some reason I did. I was in you know marching band and things in school, so I didn't. I didn't do drama. But um, when I was in the Navy, we. Um, not long after I, I was in Japan for three years, and when, not long mm-hmm. after I got there, the ship left without me. Oh. I it was assigned to temporary duty and had to stay on base, and the ship went out for six months. Oh, and got I to see. go to all these amazing places, you know, Australia and Hong Kong and Singapore and all these places, and I was stuck in Japan. And um, I found out that somebody had a little theater group on base. And so I kind of checked that out just for something to do because there wasn't a lot to do. It's expensive in living in Japan. Oh, okay. If you go off base, it's Mm -hmm. reasonable if you're on base because you're back when you're just starting out. I was just like 20, 19 or 20, you know, they they give you a meal card and everything and you get, you know, you can go eat for free. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you go out into, you know, and you you do because, you you know, you want to go out there and see and experience everything, but it, the food and, and, and things are expensive. Right. So right. you spend a lot of time on base and after a while you're just like, what am I, you know, so I'll go check out this theater group and they were doing a melodrama. They were doing dirty work at the crossroads, oh, fun. which is very funny. Uh-huh. It's a just over the top, silly melodrama. And, and so I helped just like as a stagehand or whatever you want to call it, you know, just a gopher. And that was fun. And then the next thing they did was one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, oh, so I'm going to be serious now. Yeah, and so I got to play one of the inmates or patients or whatever you want to call them. You know, uh huh. And um, I played Martini, which is the part Danny DeVito yeah, played in the I know. movie. I know the part well. Yeah. I I went to see a play. Went to see the play here. I don't remember when. It must have been before I moved to L.A. It was a long time ago. But um, I had seen the movie, and so I thought, oh, this will be fun. The play's really good, too. It's Everybody fun, raves though. about the movie. No, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. It's like, yeah. my God, because I didn't think about how intense it gets, and you're watching it on stage, and, you know, I was right up front, because almost every theater in town, you're right up front. So it was, yeah. it was intense. That Yeah, I was pretty shocked. And they did a really, whoever it was, they did an amazing job. So when they were doing the shock therapy and stuff, it was like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, that's, mm-hmm. oof. Yeah, it's quite... It's different as a play. Yeah, it was it was interesting. We 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 only did a few. I mean, we rehearsed for I don't remember how long now, but you know, a fair amount, and then only did uh, three shows. You know, mm-hmm. It's like one weekend: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because you know there's only so many people on base right. going to come and right. see that. And that was it for that. Um, I don't remember why. I think I either. I, I think I, I think what happened was I got transferred to a different base. Mm-hmm. You know that that's so yeah that's right, and uh, stopped doing it. And then when I got out. 
in about 1990. Um, it was a couple of years later. I just happened to see an ad in the paper because they used to do that. You know, they used to put ads in the Register Guard uh, that the VLT was having auditions for Hound of the Baskervilles. I went, hey, I've I've acted. <laughs> I'll, I'll go <laughs> try that. that. Oh, great! And so great. I I I went up there and auditioned and got a part. Uh huh. You know, first time I ever auditioned at VLT, I got a part. So it's like, and that was a lot of fun. I got to play the bad guy, and um, just kind of, I, I really took to it, and I, you know, love the VLT. It's great, and I did four shows there, and then my work schedule changed, and I was working in the evenings and couldn't do the rehearsals or the performances. So, oh, okay, to, I gave it up for years, and uh, but finally got back into it. We moved to Roseburg for a while, for about three years, and I got involved with their little theater down there, and so as soon as we came back here, I went right back to VLT and was in a show with you. <laughs> oh, really? That was oh, the first, that was one, the I first did one you did. When I came back, yeah. Oh, cool. I auditioned yeah. for Explorers Club or whatever it was and, right. and did not get a part. And then also I tried out for Scrooge. And well, Scrooge was way better. It was. From Scrooge, what I hear. Scrooge was great. Yeah, that was a fun show. <laughs> it was. Yeah. That was a really fun show. Yeah, that was the show when they never told me to stop being a nutcase. When, yeah, that's know, great. Always fun for an actor. Yeah, well, I loved it because it's like, okay, so I'm the, playing the judge, so I am center stage the whole time. I'm sitting higher than everybody. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, this show's true. all about me. It's, it kind of was. <laughs> it's like, this is And great. you never get a break. No. I mean, everyone else gets I, a break at some point, but no. you're not not you. Yeah, it was all right. Because nope. I'm sitting down you're the there. whole time, no costume changes. It was really nice. Well, was, that's true. It was really nice. Yeah, you, yeah. you didn't have to change completely no. into no. a different character and put on makeup and no. take it back off. <laughs> yeah, I first came on in just, in just you know, just a shirt and, and trousers and then went into my little room there and came out with the robe and the judge's wig on it was the only thing i ever had to do just, oh that's right it was nice he did have to wear the judge's wig though yeah it didn't look comfortable no but it, it was it could have been worse it wasn't too bad so, yeah. yeah yeah well that's awesome and how okay so you restore old stuff mm-hmm I, I want to say radios, but it's everything. I mean, uh, I was noticed. I saw you did a, a gumball machine mm-hmm. at one point, which is really cool. Um, do you just do this for for yourself and just fill up the house with restored projects? No, I, I kept the gumball machine. It's, it's you did. I found it at St. Vincent de Paul for five dollars, uh-huh. and it was. I have a YouTube channel. I have a whopping 161 subscribers. Oh, well, yes, that's 10,000 times more than my subscriber base. But, uh, so, you can go up there okay. and, and see some of my restoration projects, including the, oh, awesome. including the candy machine. Well, I will link to that on here. I, yeah. uh, it was in just tar- terrible condition, and I had to buy a new glass glo- mm-hmm. globe for it. But it was actually pretty easy to just clean up and repaint and get working and everything. And it's, it's an original penny candy or gumball machine. So. Oh, it was a panty machine. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. That, so you could find a glass, uh, like they had them online or found something? Them online. They make reproductions, but I actually found an original on eBay that was in good shape for oh, a, nice. a lot less. The reproductions uh-huh. are expensive. Oh, that's yeah. always good. Yeah. So, so you uh, found a real one mm-hmm. for less money. Yeah. yeah. And we just put M&Ms in it or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, I, have, I think I've got, I've got Jelly Bellies in it right now, but usually do M&Ms because Jelly Bellies are so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, yeah, I also saw what looked like a, um, what do they call it? Something that played the the cylinders. Oh, the Edison machine. The Edison machine. That's a funny story, too, because, um, or an interesting one. When we lived in Roseburg, Roseburg is a lot smaller. Their population is somewhere north of 20,000, so it's pretty small. Um, But they have a lot of junk stores. 
and I like to do that. I like to go around and poke around mm-hmm. secondhand stores and junk stores and things. And I went into one, and this Edison phonograph was sitting on the counter, and I kind of didn't bother with it because I thought they'd want way too much money for it and went away. And I came back two or three weeks later, and it was still sitting there. And I thought, well, I'm probably right. They probably do want way too much money for it. That's why it's still here. That's why it's there, yeah. But I asked the guy sitting there, now this place was not much of a, you know, it was kind of a hole in the wall and everything. And what do you want for that thing? And he says, he says, oh, some guy dropped that off and said it was better to donate it than to just throw it away. I'd take $5 for it. Oh, man. And I'm like, this thing's thing's literally over 100 years old. (laughs) And yeah, okay. Yeah, here's your $5. Here's five bucks. I'll take it. It was missing the Sweet. missing the lid because uh-huh. it has almost looks like a sewing machine when you put the lid on it. It was missing the lid, but everything else was there, and it came with this great big metal painted horn. It's got hand painted flowers on it. Nice. That was included for my five dollars. So that's it, the speaker. Mm-hmm. That's like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So very cool. So it does work, but it it makes a lot of noise. It squeaks terribly. So I'm working on, or I'm I'm getting around to. Um, tearing it apart and mm-hmm. and rebuilding it so one of these days that'll be one of my projects and i'll probably put that on youtube too but since it's in such mediocre shape it's not it doesn't hurt to go ahead and completely restore it right um right because so, if you can find one in, in really nice original condition that's obviously better like most antiques but it won't hurt it for me to repaint the thing and refinish the wood and everything because oh i see so what you're saying gone. right and it's something that's unrestored is still worth more that's mm-hmm. just just starting to be true in uh, the muscle car market if i had the money i would restore muscle cars but i kind of follow I, I look at a lot of muscle cars and the restorations of them and uh it's just starting to happen that an original unrestored one you know if it runs and is not falling apart is worth as much or more than the restored ones because it's so hard Almost any time, well, you know, almost any time you restore something like this, you screw it up. Um, and there's a little bit, I mean, I see a lot of people, almost every restoration, well, either they modify it, and that's kind of okay, that's different. But if you restore it to stock, they always put a bright, shiny paint job on it. And it's like, those, no, no. those didn't exist. Why do you right. do that? That was, And, it, you know, it's going to be cheaper to do one like the factory did. It's less paint, and, you know, it's not as expensive, but, oh, well, they want it to last, I guess. So, yeah, it's interesting. You, you should see my boss's car. Oh, does he have it? It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah? He's had it. Yeah. He, didn't, he hasn't had it since new, but he's had it for, <clears throat> since it was, I don't know exactly. He's had it since it was just a handful of years old. It's a 71 Chevelle. Oh, SS sweet. SS 454. Oh, yeah. What are my dream cars? Other than the fact that it was repainted once mm-hmm. many years ago, like thirty years ago or more, it's all original. It's and oh, it is as sweet. close to being in like new condition as a car that old can be. It is just about perfect. So he barely drives it; yeah. keeps it in the garage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Nice, but he does drive it. He does yeah. drive it. Yeah. But, yeah, that's good. It's, it's something else. Sweet. It is just, yeah, exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you just can't believe it. You're like, this thing's unrestored. It's like, yeah, it's completely unrestored. And yeah, he said he's been in shows. Nice. He's been in shows where they disregard the paint job. They're like, it's the paint job is so old and it was done so well that we're just gonna. It's kind of yeah. It's not part of gonna, our point system. We're just gonna treat yeah. it like it is, one hundred percent original. So oh yeah. nice, mm-hmm. oh, sweet. Yeah, it's That's really else. sweet. Yeah. So how long? How long were you in the navy? Uh, three years active. Three years, and then I was okay. in the reserves for three years. Oh, you were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And did you get out? Uh, did it? Did it? Uh, are there lasting habits that you developed from that, or, or did, you know, did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you? <laughs> yeah. Well, were you on a? You said you were on a ship. What kind of ship? Did you I was on an aircraft carrier. I was on the USS Midway, which is now a museum. In oh, San do you Diego. know Glenn? Glenn. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah because there's only four or five thousand people on that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a friend that served on an aircraft carrier, oh, okay. but I think he was done by the time you... He's a little older than me, so he probably would have been out by the time you were serving. The Midway, a very famous aircraft carrier. Yeah, and it is. It's a museum yeah. in San Diego now, and we went down there last summer so I could show it to my family, so that was fun. Ah, sweet. My brother-in-law has been to that, so yeah, I it would was love to go there. very interesting cool. because it had been over 30 years or thereabouts, and mm-hmm. I... They've changed it a lot because it's all a museum now. So they, they've actually opened things up and, you know, taken some things out and done it. So it, you kind of get lost. And you're like, I used to live on this thing and I right. find my way around. Oh, how anymore. interesting. But and I was telling wow. people, I said, one of the reasons for that is when you're serving on there and you're just this 20 year old kid, mm-hmm. you go where you're allowed to go and you don't go anywhere else. Oh, right. So I had this right, set right. route. You know, I'd get up in the morning and go get something to eat and then I'd go to my office that I worked in and uh, ready room and you could you know you would go to the library or the barber shop or mm-hmm. whatever but you you didn't go where you weren't allowed to go so I that I, makes a sense. lot of now that you can go all over this thing as a museum there's a lot of places I never went well that's pretty cool it, you it get was, to see all yeah. this stuff you didn't see even when you served on the thing what did you do uh, I was a, a yeoman which is uh-huh. um I've heard the word. It's administration, you know. But oh, okay. the, the difference is there's what's called a personnelman, and they take care of things for enlisted personnel, mm-hmm. and a yeoman takes care of things for the officers. So you were you an officer then? No, like a petty officer. No? Petty, petty officer. Petty yeah, officer. that's enlisted though. That's I was. I, I was okay. the I was the navy equivalent of a corporal. Okay, was the, the highest I got in my uh-huh. three years. Um, but um, the um, I was. I started out just kind of as a regular yeoman, and then at one point I got transferred to the ready room, which is where all the officers hang out when they're not flying. And so I was the operations yeoman, and that was a lot more fun. That was oh yeah, you got to keep track of all the flight operations and make up the flight schedule, and you know, enter all of their you know information in their flight logs and things. And it was a lot more that's lot more interesting than awesome. just data entry, basically, into yeah. people's service records. Well, so, that's yeah. like a yeah, it's op- like an operations manager for an air- airline that kind of do the same, similar, but they're not dealing with fighter jets. Right. You yeah. hope. Uh, yeah. So what kind of, what were they flying at the time? Do you remember? Uh, back then they were, they were, it was an attack squadron, which means bombers. They were A6 intruders. Yeah, okay. Which have been since Familiar. Been, been retired and have been replaced with, they were replaced with the F-18A or whatever it's called. But uh-huh. I don't know if, I don't even know if they're still using those, but. I think the, um. Reserves use them. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they still fly F-14s out of Portland. At least they were for a long time. Um, yeah. yeah, they didn't have F-14s on the Midway because it's too old. Right. The flight right. deck. The flight deck's too short. Those F- oh. F-14s are so tall. That, oh, really? You know, so they got the F-8. they wouldn't fit. Nope. So they had the F-18s. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, the intruder could carry a lot, from what mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah. Could carry a lot of ordnance. Do a lot yeah. of damage. You know, yeah. Was, yeah. But we didn't. We, you know. So we had a lot of exercises and things, and we didn't really get into any real stuff that we you know we sort of hang around when there were coup attempts in the philippines and stuff you mm-hmm. sort of hang out as a show of force and 
During the Iran-Iraq war, we were escorting Kuwaiti oil tankers through the Straits of Hormuz. To, you know, oh, interesting. Just, but no, but you, you weren't really you weren't no involved real, in no combat. No real combat. Stuff. No. Uh-huh. Yeah. During the first Iraq war, the short one, mm-hmm. I actually I had come home and had just joined the reserves and had only gone for a few weeks, and that war came along, and they activated us. Oh wow! And we're like, oh, are we gonna oh, are we gosh. gonna go over there? And they're like, they're, they're like, they said, no, you're gonna go to San Diego and just fill in for people who have already gone overseas. And like, well, Interesting. That's cool. Well, that's not too bad. And, yeah. But what ended up happening is we, we we literally just sat around the reserve center for a week, and then the whole thing was over and done with so fast. They were like, ask it, you're back on reserve. And oh my gosh! Go home. So yeah, I was, forget how quick that that was. That that was yeah. You know, it didn't last. Mm-mm. Did not last. How long have you been married? Um, just over 10 years. Wow. Yeah, I waited. <laughs> you could. <laughs> I waited a long time. Yeah. I was 41 when I got married. So. Yeah. And your kids are pretty young. They're you're about old, to turn nine. Boys. They're about to turn nine. Oh, are they twins? Mm-hmm. It's funny. I saw a picture and I thought, boy, they almost look like twins. But I guess it was the way they were standing. One looked really much taller. Than he the other. is. They're, they're, oh, he they're, is. They're as fraternal as can be. One mm-hmm. is one is taller than the other. One's left-handed. One's right-handed. One's got green eyes. One's got blue eyes. Their hair color is different. They're oh, just, interesting. Just as different huh. as two brothers are. You know. Uh huh. Yeah. So they were just born at the same time. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's a handful, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. My wife. My wife has. Uh, we have our. You know, from her first marriage, you know, my stepdaughter. Um, so that's been, uh, she's much older, <laughs> 26, I believe. And, uh, you know, it's, so that was a big gap for my wife, and I never had any kids of my own, and, you know. So it was, yeah, it was interesting, but we're happy. We had a, you know, they had a good, the good big family vacation last year, and this year we're just going to go to the beach, I think, and take it easy. <laughs> Not do the, Not do the big, the big travel. Yeah. yeah. So, Where'd you go last year? Well, we got to say we went down to San Diego to see the ship. Oh, right, yeah. right. That's when took you the, went. Cool. Took the kids to Legoland and oh, SeaWorld boy. and all of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I was like, oh, you know. I do, I do like SeaWorld, but not anymore. I've just, I've heard too many stories, and not only from internet stories, but I've heard actual people who've worked there, and it's like, mm. oh, don't tell me that. Yeah, it's such a fun place. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just never know what's going on behind the scenes. You, know? you don't know. Uh, Heidi and I went there one year. I think it was close to the time we were moving back from L.A., so we were trying to, like, get in all the things we hadn't done or that we wanted to do again. And so we go there in a fall evening. It's it's not very long from closing, and it's the last Shamu show, and we're like, oh, awesome, let's, let's hit it. And we run in there, and um, the place is not very full, but there's lots of room down in front. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're like, well, why is no one sitting there? <laughs> we run to the front. And yeah, uh, seawater is pretty dang cold when mm-hmm. it co- comes from a whale's tail. <laughs> it goes by you, and the, he splashes the, you know, does what he's trained to do and splashes you with seawater. And then they explain, that was 50 gallons of seawater. <laughs> it's freezing. It's instantly cold. We had to go buy San Diego, or yeah, uh, SeaWorld sweatshirts so we could go to the Oh, rest. yeah. It was fun, but it was pretty hilarious. Yeah. We weren't even thinking because we're so used to, and San Diego is quite a bit colder. We're so used to LA where, you know, nine at night, you're not going to get cold if right. you get wet. But in San Diego, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, we were in September. So, yeah, it definitely. So, but um, we had a good time. We didn't, uh, 
didn't have too many snags. It was just getting home was the was the real hassle, you know, the, the airport horror stories and all that. Oh, you had San, San Francisco closed a runway. Oh, shoot. And oh, so they were just man. discombobulating the entire West Coast. And we, you know, <clears throat> here we've got, you know, I think my kids had just turned eight. <laughs> you know, we were in the airport forever. And I don't know what we got home at like four o'clock in the morning. Yikes. You know? Yeah, we had uh, we have one of those stories as well. And um, I can't. We were, oh, yeah, it was the last time we went to L.A., which was just for a visit and um, jump on the plane. San Francisco. We got to San Francisco. Jump on the plane. We got halfway to, to Eugene and they said, sorry, we need to turn around. And we're like, oh, oh crap. Man. I mean, two thoughts go through my mind. One is what's really wrong. That's you don't just turn around, right. you know, that's not a casual decision. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> and then the other one is, uh, you know, what what in the world could be wrong that he does sound pretty relaxed and he's just but it's too big a deal. And it I think what happened was there was a um, there was a warning light and it wasn't going off and they were they were not getting a solution like it wasn't. Mm, OK, they were not like, oh, it's just a short here. Right. Or it's just this. It's like, no, this is something's wrong. And it turns out something was wrong there. The um, I think it was the elevator was having a problem. So we were in far more danger than people realize. It's like, mm. thank God. He said, "Yeah, we had to, we had to land a little fast." Oh, it wasn't the elevator. It was the flaps. The, okay. the flaps were not coming down all the way, so they had to land at a higher speed. But it's like, that's that's bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's really. Yeah. Could be dangerous. So we. I've never had. Around. I've never had. Yeah, a, you was, know, had, everybody's had their share of turbulence and things, but I've never had mm -hmm. one of those. No, we hadn't either. I mean, we haven't flown a ton, but. Well, I've flown. You know. That I don't know. Oh, I'm hearing some noise. Oh, I know what it is. It's nothing. Um, when I was in Japan, you know, to, I had to fly. It's a eleven or twelve hour flight. Right across the right. ocean. So that that's. Was, and those were prop planes, right? Those were like. <laughs> that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> What was what was funny though? Um, I, I the nice thing about when you're when you're serving overseas, they give you a month of leave. Oh, nice! So you're just, yeah, you get to come yeah. home for a month. It's like well, if you're going to have to fly all the way across the ocean, let's make it worth your while and give you a month. So I I had been home for a month and had a very nice visit and everything in the summer, and was going back and I flew all the way back and I it's about midnight by the time I get to Japan and I get off the plane and walk into the terminal, which is virtually empty except for the small group of people. And I walk right into a girl I went to high school with. Oh, man, that's so nuts. Yeah, she had been over that there. so crazy, um, yeah. As a kind of exchange student or, or helping teach English and stuff. And she was going to be flying right back to Oregon. Mm -hmm. you know? So she was sitting there waiting to fly back. I was just like, oh, I know you. What are you doing here? <laughs> that always yeah. seems so bizarre. I know, those coincidences happens, and things. Yeah. Just like, wow. Yeah. Happens in an airport. Yeah. yeah nuts oh yeah so i was looking uh i don't remember at what point but you i saw some i think you said you liked westerns um i do you like old books you like westerns mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's such a relief because the last guest i had on here didn't like i, I heard like, that yeah Sean, what's your problem yeah i grew you're, up you're grew the up. right age you should like westerns. i grew up watching westerns with you know my dad and my brother so uh -huh. like do you have any favorites uh, my favorite Western of Burr. all time is actually The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Oh, well, yeah. you can't go wrong there. It's just, You can't go wrong there. I've I've watched it so many times that I think, am I really going to watch this again? And then I just get sucked mm -hmm. right in. Yeah. I do get tired of the music by the end. But but the 
the tension that's created, the amount of, you know, the, the amount of time they spent on every shot. You can almost pause any shot and it's a picture. It's like a photograph. Yeah. They, that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that one's hard, hard to do better than that. I mean, I, yeah, I like them all the way back to Stagecoach, mm-hmm. which I really, I think I've only seen once. But it's a good, good Western. Uh, I like a lot of them. Real, I think I've, I've real Bravo and uh, I've seen most some, of those. I think I don't think I've ever seen Stagecoach Coach from start to finish. I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen quite a bit of it, but you know, my mom's a huge John Wayne fan, so she's yeah. I'm, I'm a, it's more the director that is always directing John Wayne that I like. Like John Wayne is, I mean, he's he's okay, but it depends on the movie. It depends yeah. on the he's movie. a lot of fun in yeah. True Grit. He is. He did well. Oh, in that, True you know? Grit. There's another yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and the shootist, that's one of my favorites mm-hmm. because it's so involved with what's really happening in his life. It's its really interesting. Uh, not a great movie, but the fact that he's going through similar mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. And, than the story. Yeah, um, yeah True Grit's a, an awesome movie. Uh, much better. I, I kind of like the second version, but the first one just really outshines it. Uh, I, but I still like, uh, what was a Tombstone. Another Tombstone's movie. really good. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun. It's a re- yeah. it's a fun movie. It's yeah. a far cry from history, but it's a fun movie. You know, of course, most westerns are. Um, yeah, uh, Dances with Wolves I liked because it was about Native Americans, mm-hmm. and it's there's like three of those, right? Three yeah. westerns that are yeah. about that, um, which is sad, but that's that's the western mm-hmm. cowboys and Indians, not Indians and cowboys. Yeah, and so. Yeah, well, yeah. I still am waiting for. There was a series of uh, "Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee," and I think it was kind of terrible. So I hope somebody redoes it. Oh, okay. you ever read that book? No. Well, that, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no, no. But it was so long ago that I barely remember it. Okay. It was, it was like required reading in you know grade school or junior high. So yes. Yeah, it's the history of the American Indian told by American Indians. Mm-hmm. Strangely, it was written by a white Caucasian, but <laughs> he did, he did mm-hmm. a really good job researching it and he quotes you know all the stuff is from indian writings and indian stories mm-hmm. it's just such a different view of the world extremely hard to read but it, okay yeah, I'm, different. I'm pretty sure i did read it yeah but like i said it was you know 30 or 40 years ago so right yeah yeah so. i think i read it after high school sometime and then i I'm, i've tried to read it again it's it's a big book but if you ever want to know the real history of the west that's a good one okay gentlemen and ladies uh, what about like uh did you like Deadwood? Did you ever watch that? Mm, I went to my friend's house one time and he happened to be watching it and I thought the language was a little over the top. I'm not squeamish about it, but I mm-hmm. thought it was laid on with a trowel and just thought it was too much and just couldn't really get into it. So. That makes sense. And it's not re- it's not exactly a Western. It, it's set in a Western mm-hmm. time, but it's, yeah, it's not exactly a Western. It's interesting. Oh, one thing I was going to mention, I watched, um, you ever heard of YouTube? Yes, I, they, yes. <laughs> I am familiar with it. I have uh, went down one of the rabbit holes of Sergio Leone, and I found out, I always wondered why the dubbing was so stupid, like why oh, this right, was yeah. so bad. And yeah, I finally found out that they didn't ever use sound on set because they weren't, uh, they didn't want to waste time with it. He's like, why? No, like, that was stupid. You know, that'll take forever if you try and do sound on set. So basically, it was like a silent movie, and every single sound is put in. I'm a, I'm a Everything huge uh, Orson Welles fan as a director, and he did uh-huh. that in all of his later movies. 
Oh, he did. They're all looped, and it's it's hard to take sometimes. It is and a lot of times he would shoot it, and then months later he he wouldn't be able to get the the actor that appeared on screen to come in and do the voice work, so he'd do it himself. Oh no! And he was very talented, oh, yeah, but he's got but, such a distinctive voice that you're like, it's Orson Welles' it, voice again. It's Orson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, it you know I didn't realize that. And That's and like his 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 uh, his take on Falstaff, which is a movie called Chimes at Midnight, and it is an excellent movie. Um, is it is it's a silent movie that's been post dubbed, and there's not enough foley work on it. So you'll see the guy he's walking through this old castle, and you can hear his boots on the stone floor. They put that in there, clop 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 clop, uh-huh. and then he's talking, uh-huh. but there's no other sound whatsoever. There's no rustle of fabric. There's no so ne- there's no like room sound, right? So it's yeah. Right. There's just not enough ambient sound. And not enough just, ambient. Just, it's very yeah. distracting. But oh, once you kind of get past it, it's you know yeah, it's weird. Did you, speaking of westerns and and, um, sound, did you ever hear Warren Beatty's story about Shane? No. Oh, okay. Real quick. uh, Real quick. uh, You know, he was making Bonnie and Clyde, and he wanted it to be shocking, Mm -hmm. especially the gunshots. And so he started talking to George Stevens, who directed Shane, because he remembered that the gunshots in Shane were very um, shocking. They jump out at you. They're very loud and... and, um, so he talked to George Stevens, and George Stevens said, that's what I was going for, because we want it to be, it's not supposed to be a romantic Western. It's supposed to be... It's oh, kind of the opposite. Yeah. yeah. It's taking a look at gun violence and, and right. things. And, and, and so he said, I really, we, we were shooting blanks into trash cans and things like that. And so he told Warren Beatty these techniques, and Warren Beatty used them in Bonnie and Clyde. And then when they got to the premiere, I think it was in London of all places, he got to the premiere of the movie... He's sitting there watching it with everybody, and the sound is all wrong. He says the gunshots aren't jumping out at you, and it just so he runs upstairs to the projection booth, and the guy's sitting there, and he starts asking him about it. And the guy says, "You produce this picture?" Warren Beatty says, "Yeah," and he says, "I've really done you a favor here." Oh no! He says, "I've I've made a chart." He says, oh. "The sound is terrible oh, on this my. movie." He says, "I made a chart here, and I turn it up here, and I turn it down here, and I turn it up here, and I turn it down here." He says, "This oh, is this is the worst no. mixed picture I've seen in years. I haven't had a picture this badly mixed since Shane." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story. That's genius. Yeah. It's funny because I never, I still am, have a rough time watching Shane. I like it more now that I because I know what it's about. Yeah, but I've always thought the acting in it is just terrible i don't like the lead actor that much although he I, i've seen him in enough things that i can see okay he is acting and the kid i thought was terrible and there's all this the, shane always is like at the top of people's mm-hmm. best western yeah. list sometimes best movie ever list i think part of it is just because hollywood is so you know pc and it was right. about gun violence yeah. before any movie was about and it, i mean that's a good thing and all but it, it's interesting because it, mm-hmm. it, i have to struggle to watch that freaking yeah, movie i know and yeah. you know there are some fantastic scenes in it and and it was What's his name's first movie? Um, Jack Palance. Jack Palance. Yeah. That was his first yeah. movie, and of course, he steals every scene. Like, with talk about eating the scenery. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. I, lo- I love. I love the, the way minute th- he comes on screen. I'm like, oh, finally. Yeah. Now it's a movie. I know. <laughs> I, but I love the. I love the way they used to do things in movies when they had to sneak things past the censor. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the the scene with Jack Palance and Elisha Cook Jr. He's he says Jack Palance is like you know. I hear they call you Stonewall. I bet they named a lot of you Southern Trash after old Stonewall. You know, and Elisha uh-huh. Cook says, who'd they name you after? Or do you know? 
which is his way of calling oh, him the bastard right, right. without actually doing it. Oh, you know? nice. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's clever. clever. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. The, he's so, there's many scenes with him not saying a word mm-hmm. and all you want to do is watch him. I don't yeah, know what just, it is. Prove it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes, like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, he's going to die, but mm-hmm. it, how, how are you going to yeah. kill this guy? Yeah. Uh, so that part of it is really good. Really good. Um, <laughs> social media. Why did I write that down? Oh, that's that thing. Yeah. You. Uh, oh, you have your own YouTube site. How mm-hmm. long have you had that? That's social media now. I never mm-hmm. used to think so. And that's turned into a social media site. It's yeah. interesting. My wife thinks I should, you know, put my face on my you know on camera a little more I, I barely do it once in a while when i'm reaching for something in one of my repair restoration videos you can see me but mm-hmm. i usually don't and um um i started doing it when we lived in roseburg so i've been doing it for uh, it's probably going on five years and i've got oh, that's a while yeah yeah uh, and but i'm i'm living in the past i i need to spend some money like you have on your podcast setup which is very impressive um i need to i'm still using an ipad and yeah oh wow had, that's that's impressive to well, me I, that you're doing it on an ipad and i had editing it. i had an editing uh app that i was using that was really great but my ipad is old now and i can't get a software update or an ios update. Oh, okay so you know it's, so it's like my situation mm-hmm. here yeah so i need to and, actually maybe buy a camera and do my editing in a computer and everything so mm-hmm. my, my videos now i don't edit them like your podcast i don't I oh just, okay I you just, just go i go set well, the, i go set it up in the garage where my little workbench is uh-huh. and uh-huh. i i you know i'll turn it on and say you know here's my radio that i'm working on and here's what i'm doing to it or here's what i have done to it right in, in this segment and, and and I just put it right up on YouTube. I, well, did, I did one today before I came here. Awesome. Mm-hmm. See, it surprises me you don't have more subscribers because that's... I, I like those kind of videos. I mean, when I occasionally, occasionally, all the time, I ha, you know, I, I want to fix something and I look up videos and I don't want the one where somebody's jumping on and they have 10 cuts. Mm-hmm. It, it's just his face, but it cuts 10 times mm-hmm. in, this one, in this sentence that I've just said. And these... Bug the hell out of me. Apparently, people love it because those are the ones with millions of subscribers. I don't know why, but I, uh, yeah, I the ones like I, I really, um, I'm always kind of wishing there was car restoration videos like that because all the car restoration shows, including the one that's produced in this our sister city, um, they're all about writing a script about the you know all the mm-hmm. crap that these guys are going through with each other, which is mostly just. It's fake. Absolutely, it's fake, mm-hmm. and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's like I would love to watch you guys restore cars, but I don't want to watch you argue, and I don't want to watch you have to get. It's always we got to get to the car show, and we only have twenty four hours. Yeah. Well, why didn't you start earlier? <laughs> For one, yeah. I know you did. <laughs> it's so I, ridiculous. Yeah. You know about this car show three years ago. It's the same show. I kind of gave but up that, on, yeah, on that those, kind of stuff. Uh, there was there was a show called like, Desert Car Kings that was on for only a season or two, and it was uh-huh. terrible. So that's why it. You know, yeah, I saw at least eight episodes because I try them all. The reason I gave up on it and, and gave up on those shows in general because I know exactly what you're, they do it on Pawn Stars and everything. It's the yeah. Know, I'm like you're the one yeah. that hired these idiots. Why do you spend all your time complaining about? Them? <laughs> why do you? The only one that's not like that is the um, two guys in the van looking for oh, pickers, pickers. Yeah, that show's very pickers. fake too though they it's very fake but it's more 
I mean, it's written better, I guess. It is. They do a better and can job, be interesting and they're not arguing with yeah, each they, other. They they're not a, making up these, oh, we've got to get right, back to the ranch right. or whatever. Yeah. They had a they had a radio, I guess, I, oh, I've been told they, they recently, just in the last episode or two, they had a radio collector on there, and I need to go back and watch it on demand to watch that, because I guess it was very interesting. Oh, yeah. Cause, but yeah, because I'm yeah. you know, always interested. Well, in obviously, they're fake. They're not going to walk up to some stranger's house with a camera set up, at least one. There's probably got three. Right. And say, hey, buddy. Yeah. I guess it's... it's <laughs> nice to meet you. It's, I guess it's all been done in advance, including the haggling, the prices and everything. So everything, right. all of that that you see on right. camera is fake. They've already, oh, they've already no. worked out all Oh, the, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's my like, what a shot. God. Fake television. God, what, what about Batman Begins? <laughs> <laughs> now, that's real. Come yeah, on. Of course it is. <laughs> that's yeah. real. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the, the show that's done here... Um, Graveyard Cars, mm -hmm. I would love to watch people take a piece of crap Plymouth and restore it to the, you know, the way they do it. But I don't want to watch them argue about it. The one and, I, the one I know, used to watch too be bad. because there wasn't a lot of drama was Wheeler Dealers. Mm -hmm. I used to like that because they would do a good job. Um, and occasionally they'd throw in little things like, you know, oh, you can't do that. That's going to run our budget through the blah, blah, blah. You know, but for the most part, it was just, I'm going to go, you know, buy the parts or, or get this part refurbished while you're in the shop, you know, right. Pulling uh, that engine and yeah. See, those are the, and it was, that, it that's was a what great I like show. about Pickers. It's it, it may be fake, but it's not so. They're well, not trying to create this insane amount of drama. Yeah, all, I mean, all of the they, all of the things they're trying to buy not, are real and everything. It's just yeah. that it's not quite as spontaneous as it looks. You know, right. It's all, right. So in that, I mean, have, having said that, they actually do a pretty good job because mm -hmm. they're not actors and right. they, they make it look mm -hmm. they make it look good. They make it look good. The yeah. yeah. I need to look at some techniques for getting my viewers and subscribers up on YouTube because I get frustrated because um, somebody started, they put a restoration channel up there and, they, and I swear they had, it was like one video they had just started, but they must have already had a channel or something. Um, or You know, I've watched several different uh, videos on trying to get my subscribers up and I realized... <clears throat> the main thing they tell me I'm never going to do because having a, a name that makes sense, like uh, that, I'm never going to change the name of my channel. I've had mine for at least five years, and I change my mind on what I'm going to do on it every day. Um, I started out, I can't even remember why I put a video. Oh, I just put random videos up so I could watch them on a bigger screen. Mm -hmm. And then um, I did some drum videos, and then I hurt my back. So now I the, watched one of your drum videos. You did. Yes. Cool. Okay. So you know how mm -hmm. random and scattered my YouTube channel is, and that's like it's rule like number mine. one: yeah. don't scatter. You know, have it have a focus. And then there's a lot of other things that I think um, are just total BS because the way you have, I think, the way these people get subscribers so fast is one, they've had channels, so mm -hmm. this is like their fifth, sixth, seventh channel. Two, they pay for them. They buy them, and uh, either through advertising or just straight, there's places you can just buy, subscribe, you know, you can buy them. That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. We saw an article about buying subscribers on Instagram, uh, a news article on a news station, I, which is all fake anyway, we know that. But uh, the it was crazy. They have, and I didn't know how it would help people, because Instagram is just like, how does that get you anything? Um, but they have... Uh, what do they call them? Clickbanks, where you buy, like I want to buy 20,000 subscribers, so I pay them $25, and they get, uh, they set up a bank of phones, like 100 phones on the, on the wall, 
I'm gesturing here. I realize no one can see me, and I'm not on YouTube yet, but I'm gesturing. So they have 100 phones up on this wall, and they have a guy going, making fake accounts and going and clicking, you know, subscribing to your deal. Okay. And they just do it all day long, and you have 20,000 subscribers in about 24 hours. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's like, what? how does that help you? But then I realized get your, your you hits get sponsored. Yeah, yeah, when you get your hits that you get, you get, high, then people yeah, will pay you, you to put a picture up or whatever. Up in the queue, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty nuts. And I guess those, and, you know, of course the... Correspondent said, "Isn't that illegal?" And the guy's like, "Yes, of course it is. It's illegal. It's against the practices, but that doesn't, you know, doesn't yeah. stop people from doing it." I've I've and, seen that because yeah. uh, I have one video in particular that's got somewhere north of twelve thousand views. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, that's been up there for three three years at least, maybe four. Uh -huh. So yeah, um, and I noticed the more the more you get, the more you get. Exactly. Because it that, gets higher exactly. up and, and it becomes more visible and then you get more and more and more and more and more people. Yep. You know, so it's still not, you know, it's, I, 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 I subscribe true. to people who get 12,000 hits in the first hour. In the first hour. And be, yeah, because they have 20, 30,000 subscribers. Yeah. So it so goes for, up fast. Yeah. And, so for yeah. me to have this thing yeah. get to 20, 12 or 15, whatever it is now in three yeah. years is, you know, it's actually really good. good. Yeah. One of my favorite YouTube um, inspirational guys, he, he, that's his job as he speaks about how to get better on YouTube and how to get better with whatever you want to do and um, very very positive and motivational. But one of the best things he said in, in a video like this was he said, really the way to get better at YouTube, the way to get your subscribers, the way to make your channel work is keep putting stuff up. Mm -hmm. Keep making your videos, you know, try and make them better if you want them better and keep putting them up there. And, and that's really the way to do it. And if you look at uh, most of like I did flight simulator videos as well. Don't know if you ever saw those, but I don't think so. Yeah, it's, it's confusing. I don't know why people see one thing on my channel and don't see. Anyway, I just would fly around in the simulator and talk over it and say, this is this new scenery and blah, blah, blah. And um so similar channels like this had 10,000, 20,000, and this is a very niche, obviously, mm -hmm. a very small market. But the people, so you can, there's a website where you can go and look at people's stats. You can just plug in another YouTube channel, and it'll show you their stats. And it, it doesn't cost anything for basic stuff. Uh, you know, if you're a professional and you want to see more, like, who cares? But anyway... Uh, I would look at the stats of these people, and they have thousands of videos. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they've been on five, ten years, and they literally have thousands of videos to get to that point. So they're cranking them out, and all the and most of these people who are saying, "Here's how you get more subscribers," as well, hundreds if not thousands of videos, all on the same subject. You know, all kind of focus. Mm -hmm. Nothing like much. <laughs> Nothing like my channel at all. Uh, the only reason I have a nice setup here, I want to go, you know, my goal is live YouTube because I think it's an interesting way to watch a podcast and then put it, still using it as a podcast. Um, and the only reason I have this equipment is because I'm a drummer and I wanted to record drums. Mm -hmm. So I've recorded dr drums, oh, as you saw, recorded drums in here and, and uh, for other people, you know, done a bunch of stuff. So when I was kind of out of things, out of creative outlets because of my physical maladies, it was just like, hey, I have two mics. How hard is it to do a podcast? And... Um, it turns out it's kind of hard. Uh, it, it, yeah, it takes, I, takes some work. It's a, you know, yeah, it's like I, anything. I have thought about you it. You can't know. just be lazy about it. But with something like you're talking about, 
it um, wouldn't be very expensive. You know, wouldn't wouldn't you've probably already got gear that you could you could start doing it with, and you wouldn't have to do it. it you know, it'd be totally on your own timeline. Right, yeah. It would t- entirely be on your own timeline. It'd be a pretty it'd be a, a cool podcast. Well, the the I other think. the other idea that I had that um, there's a little stumbling block, but what I what I would like to do would be because um, I don't think there is one. Is I'd like to do a podcast where you compare the book to the movie. That's interesting. Even if there is one, there's probably not more than one. Yeah, and that's another one that's interesting. And I think, I think it was Sean that had the best. Oh no, it was a couple podcasts ago. One of my guests, he had the best solution for that, and that was watch the movie first. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you get this idea in your head, and then you know, because books are so much to me, books are so much more involved, and mm-hmm. they use so much more of your imagination. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't have a soundtrack, you don't have all this stuff in your face. So I kind of agree. If if you don't want the ru- movie ruined for you, watch the movie. If you still want to read the book, read the book because, or, or get rid of that idea. Um, that it's going to be the same. Right. It's like yeah. it has the same it's, name. It's going to have the same characters. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not what you read. kind of a hobby of mine, uh-huh. um, comparing the book to the movie. And it was interesting because um, we just did that little seven-day challenge thing on Facebook. Where, oh, right. You know, I challenged you because, you know, Tammy Dingle, who I met through the VLT, challenged me, and I challenged some other theater people, too. But... Um, when I was doing that, one of the books I put up there was an Australian book called Wake in Fright, mm-hmm. and um, which is a really interesting, it's definitely worth reading. It's a fascinating book. And the movie that was made around 1970 is a very faithful adaptation of the book. It's really close. Oh, that's so, pretty awesome. That's so rare. Yes, and it's really exceptionally rare. well done. It's a great movie. And I just, I had no idea of this, but as I was looking this up when I was going to put it on Facebook, I saw that they just recently, like within the last year or less, mm-hmm. did a miniseries version of it, sort of a remake. And I don't know where it was. I don't think it was on Netflix, but it was mm-hmm. on somewhere, you know, Amazon or Hulu or something. But reading the reviews on IMDb, they said they really, probably because they made it longer as a miniseries, right. they changed a lot of it. They said that, you know, the same basic, Plot and everything, but they ended up changing it and then modernizing uh-huh. it. They set it in the modern day instead of back in the late '60s or early '70s. And I thought, well, what's the point? Just watch, read the book because it's outstanding, or watch the movie because it's outstanding too. You know, why, why have to come along? You know, forty years later and screw it up. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and it, hmm. Well, it would make a good podcast. I, I would be on it. I would be the one saying, whatever, watch the movie. But yeah, I, the, the only, I, I, and, and the, I mean, the other way, I also have a hard time sometimes when a lot of times when i watch a, a movie made out of the book um but recently I had a very good experience watching catch 22 so have i haven't seen the that? new version no so the new version is brilliant in a lot of ways it is not the book either mm. but uh the book you know is also brilliant i got it on tape just to see okay what is the book because i watched the new version which i thought was really Fun, really well done, really cool, and then I, and then uh, I think it was Netflix put the movie up because they're like, "Well, you're going to show that? Mm. Well, we have that too." So they put the '70s movie up, which is um, directed by a really talented director who I'm, I think it's Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Mike yeah. Nichols. Mm-hmm. And uh, immediately, I mean, from frame one, you'd see the difference between modern day directing and and uh, TV series production. 
and making a movie when you just had a cameras and film and you know you're not going to do much to it in post real airplanes they had 17 mm -hmm. b25s they yelled over the b25s for 30 percent of the movie 34 percent of the movie because that's what you'd be i mean it's a little it's a little interesting because if you're not mic'd actually you can hear over a b25 really easy they're not very loud uh, they're, I've been next to them when okay. they're running, and you can, you can talk. They're not, they're not. So they overplayed that, but mm -hmm. it was, it just made it a very interesting thing. And, um, I, and I thought, well, is this the book? And of course, it was not either. That's was, what I've heard. You know, yeah, it's only I've never read the it's book, only but I've two seen, hours. Yeah. It can't be the book, and and you can't quite do the book. I mean, they were both of them, both versions, pretty risque. But the book is is yeah, really strange, and. Also, <clears throat> also funny, which is funny and irreverent. Very strange take on World War II, and probably one of the earliest that took it apart like that. Because, you know, everything before Catch-22 was John Wayne. Mm -hmm. Sands of Iwo Jima. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was it. You didn't, mm -hmm. you didn't make a movie against war, right. period. But then the Vietnam came along, and they said, well, we can. Mm -hmm. let's, let's do this. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so interesting yeah. to compare the two versions and the book. And it's, I've, you know. I've done it on a lot of classic movies and books, mm -hmm. you know. And the, the only problem I think would be if you had, you'd have to have more than one person. You can't. It's boring to have one person do a podcast. It is. It's more fun to have someone to, you know, play off of. Yeah, I realize that. And, and uh, yeah, unless they're. There are some radio personalities that do podcasts by themselves, but they're not an hour. Or if you're Mike, if <laughs> you're Mike, if you're Mike Rowe and you're doing that little eight minutes, yeah. Paul Harvey rest of the story thing, is, there you it's go. brilliant. Exactly. But but yeah. he's Mike Rowe as right. well. So yeah. yeah. But there's only one of those voices. The, the problem is you'd have to have, uh, you know, I would have to have read the book and you would have to have read the book, and then we would have both yeah. had to have seen the movie or you know watched it together or whatever, and then we would sit down and, and talk about it, but. The problem with that is it's easy to do a movie podcast. We're going to take two hours and watch a movie, then we're going to do a podcast. But if right. you have to have people actually have read, read the, book, the book, it it's a it, little it could, yeah. It could take a while. It would it might take a little more prep than yeah. what I've done. And this is something. Uh, this will be my little. I'm you know I'm trying to tell people hints about doing starting a podcast. And this is late in the show. I usually start earlier. But here's my latest hint: plan out your guests a little further ahead than two or three. This is, <laughs> this is something yeah. I'm realizing on episode eleven now. Although I'm very proud that I've made it to eleven, mm -hmm. um, you might want to get some guests lined up. And for that kind of show, you definitely would have to give people you know a good two weeks at least. I think so, uh, unless they be, read yeah. the book already mm -hmm. and have seen the movie you could I mean, start out you could that look way. for that yeah you could start you could out doing all that. the ones that you've already seen and read and then you right. start to work in the ones that you haven't but you know. yeah but that was yeah. my idea i thought that would be a fun no, a i think fun that to, yeah i think that's another because there's a million idea. movie podcasts where they just you know and the bad movie podcasts are fun where they slam, even the bad ones they, they slam the bad movies those are the best podcasts <laughs> oh where, i see what you mean yeah. i thought you meant not, not a bad, bad pod, not a bad podcast about no, movies a podcast about bad movies <laughs> okay. yeah when, yeah when they're when they're doing well that would be the funnest that would uh, yeah that's a bad podcast the, uh, <laughs> bad podcasts about good movies yeah there you go that'll be my next one. i'm sure there's lots of those too <laughs> yeah. but yeah i used to oh, i used to listen geez. to one and they had a they had a title that was sort of like the you know the, the name of your podcast the, the, the podcast was called yeah it's that bad oh nice and they nice. they had it on they were on for a long time 
And it was very funny. There was these three guys then, and they would go after all of these atrocious movies, and some that were not so atrocious that were just kind of love them or hate them. Mm-hmm. Like oh, the okay. Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise, you know. Yeah, no. I some people like lot, it, some yeah. people don't, you know. I have a lot of those that and, everyone else seems to like, and I'm like, yeah. why? Yeah. What? Yeah. Wedding Crashers? Huh? Mm-hmm. So they would do, and they they... They were keeping their anonymity for some reason. It had something to do with whatever oh. they did for a living. And then at some oh, point, okay. someone online outed them, gave out their... They own. were probably directors or producers something. Or something. Yeah, this somebody is, gave out yeah. their identities, and they were like, we're done. Bye. It, it's something I'm yeah. learning even as a really, 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 really small uh, actor, even you know, small market actor, uh, because I am doing like uh, a YouTube series now. And s- something I'm realizing so much more about why actors, directors, producers never seem to put down a movie or an actor or another. You know, I'm starting to get it. It's mm-hmm. like, well, of course they want to work. Right. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, that movie I was in sucked because maybe that director's going to make something else or maybe that director's yeah. going to produce something that's good. You know. It's kind of the it, same way I understand local it. theater. You have, it you have certainly to be is. careful what you say that's, because that's you, might, was, you yeah. might work with someone someday. <laughs> exactly. And, oh, that it's show. No, that show was so loud. Oh, wait, you directed that? No, no, not that. Uh, no. Not that. Yeah. No, I didn't mean that version. Yeah. I'm right. in cottage theater. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So. No, I... Even more so because it's such a small mm-hmm. group. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, every time I uh, do something that's involved acting, you know, I'm, there's like 10 other people there that knows this person, that knows that person. Mm-hmm. Knows, yeah, I'm doing this uh, uh, model shoot now. Now I'm a model. Oh, wow. For the first time in my life. And it's kind of fun because it takes place, it's a book that takes place in the 1700s. So I, they gave me a costume and I'm supposed to show up like every month. But, of course, at every shoot, I see people that I've known because mm-hmm. they just tapped into the, the acting community to mm-hmm. try and find people that could do this. And I was also really surprised. Um, I don't think this is always true with modeling, but I, I was really surprised how much acting I got to do because they, they want us to do, like, basically a scene. And it's a, it's a frozen scene, but uh, it yeah. helped. Really helped to yeah, know you something. You can't just, I guess, stand there and strike poses. You actually think it would work better if you were just doing something. If you can you emote some, pictures somewhat. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. It really makes I mean, some people, I think, are just born with a face that works for modeling somehow. But, yeah, it definitely helps if you have, I guess, some kind of acting <laughs> ability. <laughs> yeah. Help I would think. <laughs> Well, shoot, we've been going on and on. This mm-hmm. podcast is, uh, uh, it's funny because I looked at one point and I thought, oh, this, we've got a lot more time if I want to fill an hour, but now we've filled much more than an hour. That's so, great. Yeah, that's awesome. It's been really great having you. Um, I uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, I guess I'll try and do a wrap up now. That's okay. what I was going to say. I'll let you. <laughs> So thanks, uh, Dan Squire, for being on the podcast. You've been listening to Were You Still Talking? with Joel Albrecht and Dan Squire today. And I hope to see you soon. I'll be back, well, as soon as I get a guest or two or three. Be good to each other.